dead deer voice. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and I just want to stop and say thank you guys for listening in to another great episode of the 573. Today's episode, I'm really excited to share with you guys. I'm joined by Reese Johnson to talk about his scouting and trail cam strategies to execute a target buck. Reese is a super passionate hunter and spends a majority of his time scouting in the whitetail woods and he has a lot to offer and in these last few years he's been on a tear killing mature bucks on public and private pieces so I think you guys are going to really enjoy what he has to say. Also I didn't get to plug his Instagram prior to ending the podcast so I just want to plug it now his username is Reese Johnson 7 if you go on there then you'll get to take a look at all the trail cam pictures that he has and uh, it's kind of cool but uh, he is known as the creator of trail cam Tuesday so I thought that was pretty interesting but uh, we'll go ahead and get right into the podcast I know you guys are going to enjoy this one so if you could please leave a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts throw a comment if you have any questions or anything like that we really appreciate you guys listening and we're going to be producing a lot more content here in the future thanks again here we go all right we're rolling reese thanks for coming on the podcast again last time i was with you we were talking about hunting shed hunting and uh you know i had a pretty good year thanks to you i took a lot of your tactics into account and really paid off for me i found about 15 sheds which i know doesn't amount to a bunch but for as many times as i went out and looked you know that that was pretty good ratio for me um how did you end up faring this year well i was actually down a little bit compared to uh 2020 uh 2020 i picked up over 120 20 at last this past spring i picked or early winter i picked up a little over 50 which shoots me back into my normal range but i spent a lot of time um focused on specific deer and so that took away from my ability to just pick up numbers and i was very much looking for some of my target bucks and i spent lots and lots of time in those areas learning and planning for this fall and prepping for this fall um marking where i was going to put my cameras and find the trees i wanted to hunt in and so my focus was a little different this spring so i didn't find as many antlers as a whole because of that but i still came out of there with a, a few things i was pretty proud of well, I'm excited uh, then for the rest of this podcast because I have a lot of questions pertaining to uh, to your trail cam setups and, and your scouting. But before we get into that, you know, I kind of was lacking in the host aspect on the last podcast. Didn't really get to know you. You know, I, I've known you since college and um, we kind of crossed paths whenever you owned Ready to Hunt and I did a little bit of film work i guess you could say for for a brief amount of time for that collegiate uh aspect of ready to hunt that you had going on but why don't you give the listeners a a little bit uh information about you who you are and and how you got into hunting sure well i was uh born in arkansas um my dad uh was the one that pretty much got me got me in it you know he's uh he went to mississippi state uh got his master's down there you know worked at the with the deer in the lab down there so i mean you know that's where pretty much where it all where it all started was there we moved around a bunch when i was a kid uh with his job working for the national wildlife refuge system and so you know georgia mississippi arkansas uh, missouri kentucky uh, we've covered them all and we're home is now kentucky 
uh, the western, far western portion, and that's where we're probably going to be. We've been here since I was in sixth grade now, so that's been 15, 20 years. I don't even know. I've been here, been here quite a, quite a while. But uh, now I've got my, my wife here and two kids, and um, I'm a full-time real estate broker. Um, I uh, sell real estate uh, in Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, I like to do farms, of course, hunting property. That's my that's my favorite. That's my niche for this area. Um, I do just as many houses, though, and commercial properties as well. So that's kind of my, my day-to-day job, and that gives me the flexibility and the ability to see a lot of farms, I talk to a lot of people, uh, see, see, you know, a lot of different strategies and, and, and just meet some really neat people. And, and uh, it ties in with really well with what I like to do and, and what I grew up doing, you know, uh, everything with dad's job, you know, we were around wood storks, alligators, black bears, migratory songbirds, sea turtles, uh, you name it. We've seen it, done it, uh, been able to help, help um, in some role uh, just from being around it. And so that's kind of uh, my, wildlife background my conservation background and then of course i'm a diehard deer hunter uh, white tail over anything um and it all just kind of stems from that and then um so, so that's kind of my my story and then you know um when we moved to the midwest or kentucky you know the deer here and the quality here or even in, in missouri too are unlike anything in the southeast and so when i was able to kind of find some some of these these deer around here and kind of get used to this it was just like a whole new world to me and and then i went uh, i took it to the to the next level and and then every year it's just been uh, crazier and crazier and more and more and uh, i had iowa and uh, nebraska last year and colorado and oklahoma the year before that and then this year i got wyoming and kansas on the books um so we got uh, so doing all that and then um running all these cameras and chasing big deer here at home yeah and you know in the last few years i've been following along with your hunting and and you have been putting it on some mature bucks whether it be public or private land and i just i've I've heard a couple podcasts that you've been on also and i had to pick your brain a little bit about you know the upcoming fall do you have any plans for the 2021 fall as far as it just whitetail hunting in kentucky or any trips planned so I'm going to spend the first uh, 10 days of September in Wyoming, um, high country mule deer. Um, that's, that's, that's my plan there. I'm going to do that uh, by myself. Um, it's hard to get anybody to, to do a tag along or that has points and, and that's willing to get back up and there and hike. And so doing that one alone, and then I've got Kansas uh, as well, uh, archery tag, and then I will probably head out there mid-November is what I'm thinking, unless I tag out early. I've got a um, couple quota hunts. I'm going to try to sneak in early November, uh, Missouri and Kentucky, potentially, uh, depending on how those draws play out. So, yeah, we'll, uh, if all goes well, you know, I'll have at least four buck tags in my pocket, maybe five. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like a busy fall for you. <laughs> and then, uh, just like normal. Yep. Yeah. That's all right. You know, that's, that's what we do it for. Right. And we got to talking before the, the podcast started and you said that you were after a particular buck. And I think we're going to, you know, I think we should focus on that a little bit. Maybe not so much, you know, about the buck itself and and uh, what and where you're going to be hunting it, but how about you're going to get on this deer? And so I have a lot of questions about your trail camera strategies and your scouting strategies, and maybe they'll, you know, give us an idea of how to go about targeting mature deer, whether it be public or private, and hopefully executing with that uh strategy 
So my first question is, how many trail cameras are you actually running in a normal season? And it just keeps them getting more and more. Um, <laughs> can't really can't really help it. And I've got some uh, in the woods as we speak. I've got 111 on trees. Okay, um, that's quite a few. <laughs> I mean, got, uh, I got another five or ten still not yet out, and uh, may have end up with a few more before the year's over. But that's scattered across three states, public and private. Oh wow! Um, I've got. Uh, couple of buddies that have contributed uh to that total but i'm the one that usually runs them uh, puts them up picks them out um for the most part they i definitely do get a little help here and there um but you know i'm definitely the one that i you know probably puts in the most leg work um and uh so yeah we uh we're covering a lot of ground uh casting a wide net looking for something special yeah so how are you determining how many cameras to run on a given property you just tossing them out there and hoping to find them well you know yes yes i mean yes and no um depending on you know in the summertime you know right now especially on private land you know salt licks are very efficient mineral licks if they're allowed they're very efficient for cameras and you can um you know really decrease the amount of cameras that you need to be running because when those you know they're all coming to that to those salt licks you know, I don't need to run, like, there's one farm in particular I've got six salt licks on, and they're scattered from front to back. And, you know, if I were going to, if I didn't have that ability, I'd probably need, you know, maybe a dozen or 15 to effectively cover all of the edges and all the scrapes and all the food plots and, and the other things to actually see what I have on the farm. But because I have that ability here in our state, that actually makes that easier on, on me in there. Now, we go to some of the other uh, big woods public that we're running cameras on in a couple different states, you know, it's it's scrapes and it's uh, hard crossings. Um, you know, and, and that's really where a lot of your shed hunting and wintertime scouting uh, comes into play. Um, I think I think a lot of people don't take advantage of that um, as well as they should. Yeah, no. So at this point, you know, in your hunting career, it's probably safe to say that you know you're after an upper age class buck. Preferably, the more inches, the better. Um, that's my assumption, but how would you describe your preference in determining a target buck for the fall? Yeah, so, I mean, that is 100%. As long as I'm here on my Kentucky tag here at home, um, I'm going to be pretty much focused on one deer, uh, most likely. And there's going to be a, a plan B and a plan C in there, I'm sure. Um, but my heart's going to be set on on number one, plan A, if I can at all help it. And so, um, you know, all of my efforts are going to go into while I'm here at home, I mean, it's easy, you know, and I'm able to spend more time on a particular deer. That is where I will focus my efforts and my time doing something like that. Whereas if I'm out of state, you know, Iowa, uh, Illinois, um, this year's Kansas, you know, first mature deer that comes along, um, or even if he's not mature, you know, so whatever does it for me based on the situation, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to be as picky in those type of the situations. But here at home where I have the ability and the time, and the motivation to target one deer, uh, that's what I'm going to do uh, while I can on, because I mean, Kentucky is a one buck state. So you, you got to make it count. So, I mean, I'm going to cast that wide net. I'm going to find something that uh, trips my trigger and that's going to be what I spend all my time and energy on while I'm here. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, one, one buck state, that's, that's good. It has its good things and it's yeah. bad obviously, but you know, it definitely, 
if if I was hunting a one buck state like Kentucky, I would definitely set all my sights on on a mature buck, you know, similar to what you're talking about. Now, um, vaguely, how are, how are you uh, locating a majority of these targets? Are you just finding them through shed hunting, sightings, word of mouth, or just happenstance on a trail camera? So um, it's a little bit of everything. You know, every deer is different. Every situation is different and in, in how it starts. Um, there was a deer that uh, got shot last year, and I actually missed him in November. Um, you know, I found him. I located him by finding his shed. You know, that was just sheer accident, and I found it, and then it became, you know, an obsession of, all right, I need to learn everything I can learn about this deer um, in preparation for this upcoming season. And then while I was targeting that deer and um, preparing to hunt him that fall, I found another deer accidentally just, just as big that was just as intriguing to me. So it actually gave me an A and a B and or two A's, and I could hop back and forth from either to the one or the other based off of the wind, the pressure I felt, the situation, and it actually, um, I would have been completely content with either one, and, and that doesn't happen every year, but that actually gave me some breathing room and gave the deer, uh, gave me allowed me to pressure them less and, and hunt them uh, more efficiently, in my opinion, um, up until that deer died, of course, um, and, then, and then it pretty much sent me back to 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 the one that's that uh, I'm chasing this year. Yeah, Plan B, C, D. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, do you do you find it more favorable to uh, find a target buck in the fall that is using a property that you can hunt, or um, finding it in the summertime on a property that you can hunt? Fall is definitely easier. Um, it's gonna it's gonna vary. Uh, the deer that I killed in 2019, that deer summered on us um, hard. I mean, he was there very often, very much in the summertime, and then there were times like uh, in 2018 I had the last picture I had of that deer were September 2nd and then he came back on November either 2nd or 3rd um, and I'm assuming in search of that first hot doe he came back to his summer range was my guess but that you know in that in that time period in that window I had no pictures of him and then I wish the following year I did kill him but I and I kind of had that in my mind that he was only going to be there for a few days and he came back in that same time frame Chase cameras. He was on it. He hadn't been on it since September. He showed back up, and then you know I was able to get the deal done. But that's that's not the case with every. But anyways, that's not what I would prefer. I would prefer to have a deer that spends his fall on us. Of course, you know you find a deer in the summertime, just like I did last year. My my plan A deer that I found last year, I found him in the summertime, surely on accident. And then it was like, okay, this deer's going to shift. He's going to lose that velvet. He's going to go somewhere what am I going to do in preparation for that shift? And so I scouted as far as I could scout every single direction, north, south, east, west, looking for that sign, looking for anything I could do to to guess and try to get ahead of him as far as where I thought he would shift to. Um, and uh, honestly, I guessed wrong uh, looking at it now. You know, now I know right where his core is. Uh, at, least, at least that's what I believe to be his core area. But, uh, you know, I guessed wrong and it took me – took a while to learn that deer's behavior and patterns and hopefully i'm gonna take that into this season and then be able to get it done yeah and um how long would you say it took you to figure out that deer's core area it took me so i had um pictures of him all up through september into early october and i didn't it took me until november 16th to have an encounter with that deer so it i was probably four weeks behind 
figuring out where he went because he wasn't on my cameras. And honestly, it was the last direction I could have guessed was the direction he actually went. And um, that was. And, and once I got over there and saw the habitat in that area, it was like, oh, I, I, I missed this out the gate. It just didn't look like what it what I, what it actually did on the map. Um, and therefore, I, I missed it. Um, and luckily, I had the ability to go chase that deer and finding I was in a big enough area. You know, this was public land. And so that was it was a big enough area that it allowed me to keep going until I found him. Um, and while those cameras were soaking and I was attempting to relocate that deer, I was able to hunt the, the deer that I ended up, you know, that's, that's now dead that I missed. Um, that deer kept me busy. And I was, you know, hunting that deer hard because I knew where he was. I knew where his fall range was and his sign was. And I had pictures of him while I was locating the other one. And then it just so happened that deer died about the same time that I relocated that other one and then spent my late November into December uh, chasing him until season went out. Well, I, I, I think most people um, may not understand how impressive it is to, to figure out a buck's core area within four weeks or so. I mean, you know, most guys you see on TV, they're, they're tracking these bucks as three-year-olds and four-year-olds, and they're, they're really figuring them out over a three-year time period, whereas you find these bucks and then you're on them. And so that's kind of what I want to get into is is how you get on them so fast and how effective it is for you because you said that you missed that deer in 2019, which obviously means you had an opportunity to kill that buck. So you got in on him. Now, uh, when you target that specific buck that you're going to hunt for the upcoming season, what is your trail camera strategy to locating him? So... Um I go in there and, like I said, early winter, um, late fall, or early winter, late winter, early spring. And I'm in there reading the sign that's been left from the previous rut, the previous fall. Um, and I'm combining that with my experiences hunting in there. And so this deer, this deer was new to me, which poses a completely different challenge than a deer that you've had history with for two, three, four years in a row. So that definitely upped the difficulty whereas this year i feel way more prepared going in because i know what he did last year and assuming he holds somewhat true to that pattern i'm going to be prepared and so um after picking up that sign and those sheds or you know and the looking into it and, and reading all that i mark all of my trail cam locations in the winter that i want to have next spring now when i mark them in those spots those are going to be fall spots those are going to be locations that they're using after they make that shift and you just have to realize that and know that now if you don't want to put your cameras there out early and you want to wait till the shift happens and then put your camera out which is something like i think bill winky's the one that he said you know that's what he does he doesn't even bother with cameras in the summer for the most part you know because he knows that they're going to change i like cameras enough i enjoy it i, I got them all out Plus, you know, with, with two kids and work and, uh, you know, the other trips I'm going to go on, all these cameras I've spent in the last month to July putting them out, they're just going to soak. I'm not going to rush in there to pull them. I'm not going to bother them. I'm not going to check them. They're in false spots. They're going to shift. But, hey, I don't have to go in there later during um, a time when, when I could actually be hunting and then bother them, bump them, uh, do anything like that. So I'm getting them out, letting them soak. They're there. They're in their false spots. Now, you're going to get some deer that – some are there that you, you you don't have in the fall, and they're going to leave. But, you know, you'll, you'll pick some of them up. And then there will be some that, you know, you know every deer is different, and their personalities are different. And, and there will be some that will summer and fall in much 
in much uh, closer proximity to each other than others. And so um, all of my cameras are already out on the fall sign. Now, most all that, like I said, is going to be on community scrapes, um, bedding, uh, trails coming out in and out of bedding, or, you know, a lot of times you can use those terrain features where I really like to find train features where two major trails will cross and create an X, uh, then you're getting a two for one. And so those are the three things I really try to key on um, when you're not allowed to use mineral on on public land um, or in any state where you can't use mineral or bait or anything like that. So that's really what I focus on this time of year. Okay. And um, just assuming Kentucky, you can't put mineral out. uh, you can on private, not on public. Okay. Um, of course, Illinois, you can't. Missouri, you can't. Um, and so it's most of the time it's it's reading the sign and doing your homework and what you have to do. And um, honestly, you know, for those three states and the public that we chase on those three states, if you get your cameras off the field edge and out of the way, most people are not going to either find them or mess them. I get, you know, a lot of people are worried. I think, I think people... And don't get me wrong, I think I had five cameras stolen last year and an additional five cards taken out of my camera. So that would be ten cards total and five cameras total uh, stolen. Uh, so you're going to get some, some people out there doing some less than ideal things. Um, but, you know, that's a risk of it. I don't lock my cameras. I don't hide them. I put them in obvious places because I want good pictures. Good pictures mean more to me than anything. I don't want a picture... 15, 20 foot up in a tree of a deer and, and I can't really, you know, make sense of what he's doing, where he's coming from, what size he is. I want, I want a good picture or nothing. So I'm going to lay it out there just as easy as can be, um, just as obvious as can be in a lot of cases. But, you know, you get away from those typically thought after spots, field edges, crop fields, whatever, and you really get into there um, off the road a little bit. You, you can you can really do well, and I seem to not really have too too awful many issues anyway. Well, I mean, out of 111 cameras, that's less than 10 percent of them getting messed with, and you know that's scattered various public lands and private pieces. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good odds, I would say. And I, you know, it's unfortunate that you know folks are out there and and messing with other people's stuff. But uh, one thing you mentioned, you know, I want to pause on some of the strategy. You said that you put your cameras uh, to get the best pictures. Now, if uh, you could paint a picture and and maybe describe what you know how you set your camera up to make sure that it's taking a really good picture, you know, not twenty feet in the air of the top of a deer's head or or something like that. How do you make sure that you're getting really good photos? Well, I'm very particular and you can t- ask any of the folks that tag along or the, the few folks that do tag along with me they get aggravated because i'll spend so long adjusting and tweaking and making sure that it's at the right angle the right height and whether i need to put a stick behind it or move it or or uh you know whatever i have to do to get it just like i want in a perfect world i'd have a, a scrape in the picture but i'd also be able to cover the trail that i'm that that's most likely leading to and from that scrape and so i'll probably usually put the scrape limb in about a, a third of the portion of the of the frame and then you know angle it to where the trail is most likely in the other two-thirds and um you know waist high just angled 
straight to where, you know, you can really, you know, get a normal picture just like, and I do that on all my public land sets. And, and that's, you know, and I, like I said, nine times out of 10, I don't walk them unless I've got a cell cam. Of course, I'll walk those. That's not foolproof. You know, people are still can be, can be whatever they, you know, want to do to your, to you if you're not there. But, um, just as far as my regular cameras go, um, I'm all about a good picture. And, and if I can, if I could paint a picture and do exactly that every time I'd find a community scrape with a tra- with one or two trails leading to it from it and do my best to, to get both of those in the frame. Okay. And then for the most part, are you setting that camera about waist to chest height or does that depend on the terrain? Yeah. I mean, waist high is nine times out of 10 and honestly, even a little bit lower, uh, most of the time. Um, I usually don't like to get too high because uh, then you got to really know what you're doing angle wise uh, to, to to get the picture that you want. The higher you have to go, uh, but in some situations, you know, there are spots where I feel like I need to hide my camera a little bit more, um, especially if they're closer to the road or, or closer to a field, and, and then I might you know put it up head high, or there might be something that's just extremely obvious that says, you know, this is a matter of fact. There was one spot. I was looking to hang a camera and there was a dead stump there and I saw the stump and it, I was like, you know, that I, I literally just grabbed the camera and just popped it right in the, in the, in the stump and it fit perfectly like it was meant to be. It's like, well, well never, never done that before, but <laughs> we're going to, we're going to give this a go. And it, it just, it fit in there exactly like I wanted exactly the right height. And I just left it. I haven't checked it yet. I don't know when I'll ever get down there, but um, you know, there are occasions when uh, mother nature will help you out and get and throw you throw you a bone there but nine times out of ten you got to do it yourself yeah well that's pretty cool that i'm excited to see what those trail camera pictures have in store for us on your your instagram account now uh, can you explain a little bit your style of hunting are you more of a mobile hunter or a, a guy that has some set stands already in locations so as i've progressed you know we've typically and it, honestly it, it varies and it changes year to year based off the particular deer that I'm focusing on. So the deer in uh, 19 that I killed was on private and that deer there was set up on one. He he was consistent in one food plot and one food plot only the very back corner of our farm. And that's where I had all my pictures and all my, so it made my life easy because like, this is the only one that we're going to target. So I made sure my entry and exit was good. I knew right where the, when I had a North wind, right where I could be, I could get in, get out, not bothering. And, um, I could probably, I could really, I could overhunt it if I wanted to, as long as I didn't blow any of the deer out of the field, uh, because the entry and exit was good and the wind was good. But I knew that that was the most likely uh, spot that I was going to kill that deer, and that is where I ended up killing him. And so that one was a set stand that was nice and easy. Now, you know, as I continued to run cameras there and in other states and on public land, I picked up the, I ran into the big deer on public. Um, so then my whole my whole plan shifted. So now that be put, made me more of a mobile hunter in that situation because I didn't want people, I wasn't the only one hunting the deer. Everybody, you know, other folks knew about it and I didn't want them seeing my stands either. So I opted for a saddle setup. I ran the tethered last year and then, um, hunting with some Novix minis on the steps, which, uh, bang for your buck. They're not, they're not bad steps. Um, I, I hunted you know, 50, 60 times with them last year. Um, and also in Iowa with them and, um, thoroughly, you know, I, I, the one thing I, I had the ones that alternate. I didn't have the, the fixed double steps. I think if you went and got the fixed double steps, you'd really like them, which they came out with this year. Okay. Um, the only, my only complaint about them was the stackability as compared to like, uh, I think I'm going to get the Lone Wolf custom gears this year. Just the stackability is what, uh, 
it's just hard to beat that. And, and, and that was the one thing that I struggled with was getting those steps in and out. They were just a little bit too bulky um, for, for what I wanted. But, you know, last year that made me more of a mobile hunter. And that actually helped me when I went into Iowa um, and hunted public land up there on that tag. Um, and that made, made my life a whole lot easier by having that saddle. And I really did enjoy it. It was kind of, you know, it was kind of a pain in the butt, you know, having to put up and take down every time. But there's so many advantages to it. Um, but as long as I'm, you know, situationally, of course, um, and there are some spots that I'll have some pre-hung sets this year uh, because I know right where, you know, now that I have a year's worth of history, I feel like I'll know what that deer, assuming he, you know, is alive, is alive and sticks to that pattern. Um, I do have some spots that I can go ahead and prep for him, but you know, it's always good to have options. And so I will stay pretty mobile and, and I really did like, really did enjoy uh, doing that last year. So it sounds like for you, there's really no set thing that you are stuck on. You, you can be mobile or you can have set stands. And uh, I like that, honestly, because it just shows, you know, adversity, you know, to change based off of what the specific deer is that you're cha- you're chasing, you know, and, and making the strategy for him, not just having one particular strategy and trying to use it for every situation. Right. And the same, what, what I'm doing is not for everybody, but that's just what gets me going. You know, I've, I've had a, a pretty uh, fortunate um, hunting opportunities to this point in my life. And, you know, I've, I've shot some good deer. Um, you know, last year I, I let go some deer that uh, most people, uh, ever, you know, I, of course I posted them. Everybody called me crazy for letting them go. But, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just not what I was there for. It's not what I was focused on. And, and you know, um, and if you're going to, you know, shoot that once in a lifetime deer, you know, that really, that, that deer that, you know, that, that you dream about, you know, you have to let those other deer walk, whether they're mature or not, especially in a one buck state. Now, if I'd have had two tags, you know, there's been some deer that I would definitely, you know, had, had added to the wall, but you know, you get one, you got to make it count. And so last year I had made up my mind. It was going to be uh, him or nothing. And it turned out to be nothing. And so, um, it's probably going to be the same way again. Um, hopefully, I. And that's the one thing about going out of state. You know, it always makes you feel better because you can maybe fill a tag a little bit easier um, on it. On you know, and not be so hard on yourself. But when when I'm here at home, it's it, it's hard because I'm there for usually one deer and one deer only. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you've shot uh, a good amount of mature bucks in in uh, your hunting stint, so I can imagine why you would have these goals set for yourself. You know, everybody's goals are different, but uh, you know when you're chasing after one particular buck it's you know likely because you know you you've kind of been there done that before you know it if it got you excited i bet you'd you know shoot it oh yeah yeah so that's what i'm saying you've got to figure out what your goals are as, as a person and feel good about it you know it's one of those things you know i hate the folks that make you know that make excuses for what they shoot you know if you're going to shoot it uh you know, either you're happy or you're not, you know, and if you have to make an excuse for your deer, then you shouldn't have shot it. It's just that simple. Right. Um, because it didn't make you happy. Yeah. Uh, if it makes you happy, then you're not going to make an excuse for it. So, uh, you know, the folks that, that ride that line and stay in the middle are, are extremely aggravating, uh, if you ask me. And, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that, that that's, that is my one single biggest pet peeve when I see people posting on the, posting about the deer they shot and, and, and the excuse they have to make as to why they shot it. Either if you're happy with it, great, I'm happy for you. But, but be happy you did it or just don't do it, shoot or doe. It's not that big a deal. Right, yeah, no. Uh, the, the you know, statuses after when they kill their buck, he's no monster, but 
you know that one kind of drives me crazy it's like just be happy with what you got you know you you chose to pull back on that deer for a reason he got you excited so you know it's it's you know it's own something that, decision yep own your decision that's that's the perfect way that's to say the it. number yeah number one pet peeve right there it drives me crazy because you know <laughs> especially especially as me three-year-olds and and getting a good solid deer i've let walk uh, which is okay i have no problem with that but if it makes you happy say it yep yep embrace it now uh we kind of talked about how you hunt as far as you know whether it's set stands or mobile stands do you tend to hunt near the places that you put your trail cameras Yes, I mean, if the deer's there on the camera, I'm going to be, I mean, I know he's been right there. You know what I mean? I know cameras are not perfect and, and, and something that a lot of people don't take into account. But just if, you, if you've ever hunted near one of your trail cameras, you look at how many deer you see per sit and then how many deer don't walk by your camera. So it's it's kind of uh, mind-blowing because you're catching even such a small percentage of deer you see versus deer that actually walk by your camera. No matter where you're at on the field edge or in, a, in the woods or on Thomas Creek or whatnot, you miss so many deer. So for so for that deer, the way I view it, and this is not perfect nor sound science, but you know, if a deer is on my camera at once, and he's probably been in the area at least twice, maybe three times, but he just didn't walk in front of the camera. So if I know he's been on the camera, then he's been there and he's been close, probably more often than the camera tells me. So if he feels comfortable being in that spot, and I have good entry and exit, and I have my plan put together where to sit and what to do then yeah i'm gonna hunt you know within the proximity of that of that camera i have no issue with it as long as you know all the other factors align i I really that's uh something i never really thought about i know it's not you know backed by science but that's a pretty good insight as far as you know you do get that buck on trail cam one time the likelihood of that deer being in that area more than just the one time you got a picture of it it's pretty high yeah, so that that's something I'll definitely take with me after this podcast. Um, so, you know, we, let's kind of track back a little bit. You know, you started, you were talking about uh, how you scout, and that's what determines where you put your cameras. And uh, I think um, you already answered the question, but when would you say the best time to scout for uh, a target buck is um, when – to benefit you for the fall season. Yeah. So I'm going to go, if I'm picking, I'm going back to, you know, shed season early, you know, late winter, early spring. That's still my number one, but you know, I'm scouting all the time when I'm putting up these cameras, I'm scouting every time you're out and in the woods. I mean, you should be paying attention to what you're doing. Scouting, um, you know, the summertime, which some people love summertime scouting. I do not enjoy summertime scouting as much, uh, snakes, ticks uh, bugs in general and then you know it's just so much harder to see the sign this time of year and there are you know when i went to go put out my cameras this year and i started making the rounds you know i knew exactly i had my pens on on x and i had it marked and i was walking straight to those pens that i had marked in those and then i would get there and i'd stand there and i did this more than once and be standing like why did i mark this spot what is so significant about this spot and, you know, it's it's hard to necessarily always trust yourself, but I put up 90, I think only one spot that I not put a camera that I that I had marked for myself. And it was because I found a much better scrape on the way in accidentally walking a straight line rather than on top of the ridge. I was walking a straight line to get, 
you know, to that other spot. And I, I remember, I saw it and I was like, man, that other one was better. I'm going to go back to it. But it's just so much easier and there's so much more defined to find in the wintertime and, and you don't have to stress, you know, it's so much and, and it's so much more efficient. You know, has some people like, how do you run so many cameras? Well, when I have all these spots marked and I can go into one area and get five, six, eight, ten cameras up, or if I can go, you know, pull off here and do five, pull off here and do five, and pull off here and do five. Well, in, in half a day, I've done 15. You know, you do that four or five times, and, you know, you've covered some ground, and you've got some cameras up in a hurry. And, and people don't realize that that you can, you know, you, there are ways to be efficient. And, and the summertime sign will make you doubt yourself. It will make you doubt yourself because there is not always clear evidence of the use that's there in the wintertime and from the fall. And so that's why, while I still scout in the summertime, still find stuff in the summertime, I'm always looking. I'm choosing winter. And then, of course, you know, you always have to be, and then when you're hunting, too, you know, there's a new sign. You have to be conscientious of when you're going in and out, you know, pay attention to all that as well. And the biggest thing that I don't think people realize is, you know, scrapes are a huge, huge part of public land hunting and finding those. And being able to differentiate between what I would consider a November scrape a, a testosterone driven young buck scrape that's going to get hit once or, once or twice and you, you don't want to put a camera on there because you're just most likely wasting your time uh, you might get a few deer on it but not many and the difference in a true community scrape that's been placed there because the terrain the geography forces them to go there and it's a it's a true meeting point for for deer of all kinds those young bucks and mature deer that's the, really the ones you're looking for so to be able to distinguish between those two things is a huge uh, I think barrier to people that don't spend enough time in the woods, they find a scrape and they're like, Oh man, here's a scrape, but it's not the right kind of scrape. And there's, and, uh, you know, uh, Troy Pottinger's, um, the one that, you know, really hits on that, but, but he's right. And, and, you know, finding those, you know, of the, of the 50 or a hundred you walk by, there's only four or five that are really going to be ones you need to be focused on. And are you finding that it's a, a certain size or terrain feature, or is it just trail camera intel that's telling you this is a, a scrape that's being used all the time by everything? It's a when, when I find that they are open and still free from debris and leaves in the early winter, one, and then two, so you, you find that, and then you look at the, the amount that that branch has most likely been torn to pieces or chewed on or, you know, and, and how solid the limb is and whether the fact that it's going to be there next year or, or, or has been broken or is dead or something. And then as you're standing there, you look and think, well, okay, how does this location tie into the features around me? Um, am I in a saddle? Am I on the end of a ridge? Um, am I in the bottom where three, three creeks come together at a, at a significant meeting point? Um, so take, you take all of those things into account and put them together. And then you have to make your own assumption of this scrape here is, um, what I'm looking for. And, and, you know, I've only, of the cameras I've put out, I probably only checked 10 or 15 of them at this point. Um, a lot of them just when I was out scouting beans or killing time or just because I, need to scratch that itch a little bit and a couple of scrapes in particular um i've got i've had multiple bucks this summer already you know in velvet you know licking the licking branch and, and sticking their heads up in there and you know on the camera doing so and, and, and people don't realize just how important um that can be here in the summertime and, and that they will still leave that sign on there and uh, i mean they're always they're always communicating and 
and using those and and uh, they're just the most effective way in a most likely most likely the most effective way in a public land setting or any really type setting that you can't bait. Okay. Um that's all really great stuff and uh you know it's I'm getting the vibe that you're you're pretty aggressive in in some of your scouting tactics. Is there a time I mean a lot of people listening to this might think, okay, well, he pretty much scouts year-round for the most part. Um, you'd be afraid to be pushing a target mature buck uh, if you're spending a lot of time in these areas. Is there a time of the year where you're backing off a little bit and uh, saying, I'm not going to go in there now, or is that just not happen usually? Only really when I'm hunting. I mean, you know, November, I'm super conscientious about where I go and what I do, and all that really um, is going to revolve around the wind. And then, of course, you got to take into account: are there other gun? Is gun season coming in? And and how long am I going to have to hunt? And, and what days are, are here? And what days are there? And you you kind of got to make that decision for yourself on how aggressive you're going to be. I'm I am I'm a very aggressive hunter, and I'm not. I'd rather push a deer out trying than say than never get close. And that's just my that's just my game plan. The deer that the deer my my number one target deer last year, I laid eyes on him, and he but he winded me. And I didn't see him, and I saw him on the day I, my the encounter I had with him on November sixteenth last year was him running away as he winded me. The way I had set up is I'd gone up in this big bottom, and there was this massive ridge here, and it was like I walked about halfway down, and then was hoping he would come down off of this ridge and you know funnel right in front of me to this scrape, and then go on out the mouth of the ridge. Well, he did exactly that, but he didn't come off the knob that I was set up on, he came off one knob behind me. So he was a hundred yards deeper and the wind was blowing, the thermals were pulling up and that's what got me. But you know, the deeper, if I had gone two knobs deeper and gotten back in there, he would have come out in front of me and I'd have never known he was even there. So it's a risk you take no matter what you do. And, you know, I'm going to be way more conscientious during, during November, but between when I'm turkey hunting in the spring and scouting while while I'm turkey hunting, you know, because I'm you know you're in the woods, you're in places you wouldn't be normally shed hunting. Summertime, putting those cameras up, or, or just you know anytime I can get five minutes, I'm out there walking, and doing anything I can do, learning new areas. Um, you know, I've spent a lot, quite a bit of time this summer um, in Illinois as well, uh, learning learning as much as I can up there, um, getting cameras out up there, and trying to and trying to put together some some future plans for that. Um, and that's been a big priority of mine, uh, for this summer. <laughs> and so, um, and we, when we went up there, picked up a dozen sheds in a day and had a, and pulled up, um, first trip in, pulled out a 170 for sure inch antler. Oh, wow. And so we know, we, you know, it was, a we know it was in a, a good, we know we're in a good spot. Um, and that was just the first trip in. So, so. I'm always scouting and walking, walking a lot of miles. And that's the one thing that I think people don't, that gets me about people. It's just like anything in life. They want it to be easy, but the more miles, the more effort, the more time you put in, the more successful you're going to be. And you're never going to, until you learn it and see it for yourself. You know, I'm probably walking, I figured in 2020, I was between five and 600 miles on foot in the woods between sheds, turkeys and deer season. And then I should easily, do that again this year um and until you see that much sign and that much train and you learn it just like anything else um you're never going to have as good of a feel for it um 
as somebody that sees it that often. And uh, of these, I mean, that's a lot of miles to be putting under their feet. Are you noticing that a lot of these places that you find um, that hold mature buck, do you, you find they hold uh, year in and year out something that you kind of, you know, okay, I figured this place out and in the future to come, it's, it's usually good every year after that. I believe so. And, and then here's kind of my, my logic here, you know, I mean, I'm 28 and, uh, you know, I work for myself. So I've got um, the, the ability, the desire and the time to, to put more into it than ever, than, than other folks. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky, but I'm also driven and I definitely, you know, take every free minute that I can, that I could be doing other stuff and I put it into deer most of the time. And so, um, yeah, that, that's what motivates me. That's what gets me going. And, um, I lost my train there. <laughs> it happens. Say yeah. that. Say that question one more time, if you don't. Uh, mind. So I was asking you if if you hunt these spots year in and year out. Okay. So yeah. So like I said, I'm going back to the logic that I have on this. Is you know, like, while I'm able to do this now, and I do enjoy it now, between the fact that I'm going to get older and my kids are going to get older, and my time's going to get more limited, I'm learning from my cameras now to the point where when one day I can't do this, I'll know where those spots are. And if I have zero cameras in the woods, I'll know where I had buck history and specific deer or just lots of bucks in general year in and year out. And when the time comes that I can't do this or just don't have the desire or don't want to, well, I will have some grade a top notch spots that I can go sit anytime any year and feel good about it and so in my, that is what's the ultimate goal and that's in my back pocket so finding those one percent spots that i can sit on for years and years and years to come is the end goal um besides you know enjoying it now and and, and shooting you know the deer that i'm specifically looking after but i do expect that to actually work for me and be the case sounds like you're setting yourself up pretty good for the future in case uh you stop being as aggressive as you are now um but I want to put all this together, you know, you, you've kind of mentioned about how you're scouting for this target buck and you have all the trail cameras you need set up on this deer, his travel routes, you know, mock scrapes or, you know, natural scrapes. Uh, when and how are you going in for the kill? So I'm going, you know, as soon as, as, soon as I can get in there, I mean, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky opens up that first week in September, so he'll be on that pattern um for the first you know five to ten days you got a window there um last year um i attempted it uh, but i didn't know near as much as i i know now and i didn't push hard enough or far enough if you ask me based off of my uh, information that i know now and so i'll be in there just as soon as i can get in there um and then of course once that pattern shifts and he comes out of velvet and all that good stuff changes i'll probably take some time and then go back in october you know, assuming I don't get him right out the gate, I'll, I'll come back, wait for those acorns to hit the ground, come back again, and then really focus, uh, really focus there. Um, Halloween on, I'm trying to get him cruising. But if in a perfect world, I'd get it. You know, I'd love to get it done in October. And October has been difficult 
uh, in the past for me. I've, I've killed a few deer in October, but not near as many as November, of course. And I think most folks could say that. But um, the amount of acorns we have around here makes it hard. Those deer don't have to do anything if they don't want to do anything. And that is um, a challenge. Okay. So you're you're talking about the buck that you'll be chasing this fall. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, you know, when you're after a certain buck, you're basically basing it off of when that buck has been there in the past um, mm-hmm. using yep. trail camera intel. Yep. So, uh, for example, he, I, he was in, I had him daylighting in, on Halloween last year. That cell, that camera is in that spot. It's cell cam, and it is labeled Halloween because I know where I'm going to be on Halloween if I don't have him killed already. Okay. All right. And so that I mean, so that is I'm working off annual history, and and the fact that I have a year of history with this deer. Um, has made my life, it's making, I assume, it's going to make my life easier versus, and who knows, I may pick up another deer that intrigues me and interests me as well because casting this wide net, you know, there might be something else I might pick up and then I might start the game all over again. But, you know, even if I have another deer that I'm not hunting this year, but he still is, you know, on my radar, I'm learning his habits, I'm paying attention to his habits because if this deer dies or I kill the deer, I'm going to need something else or I want to get my dad on one or somebody else. Well, if I'm learning what other deer are doing, that when if when I need to go to Plan B, I'm, I'm, I've got a, I've already got some information. I'm not starting from zero, so I'm keeping tabs and and, and remembering and right. You know, I've got my my log, my history, and my pictures of what each deer that means something to me is doing, or each three year old that I think is going to be something special. Um, and I'm making plans A, B, C, D, E, F, G for down the line, be it for me or for someone that I friend or family that I can hopefully help out. Yeah. So just to, to rehash that you are seeing that your trail cameras year in and year out are showing you that, you know, a certain deer is going to be back in those areas. Yes. Oh yeah. And then the annual, the annual repetitive data from, you know, they're, they're creatures of habit and assuming nothing major changes, you know, logging, um, or anything, you know, fire or anything, you know, extremely destructive comes through, um, <clears throat> they will be, they're creatures of habit and they're going to, they're going to most likely stick to those patterns. And that has been an, it, the, that right there alone has been the best part about trail camera and the information that you can get is you can figure out what those deer are doing. So when a deer's three and you know what he's doing at three, when he turns five and you decide to target that deer, you already know exactly where you need to be because he gave it to you two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's really good stuff. I, I saw a, a recent Instagram story by you that you had quite the uh, gig bites uh, on your computer. I'd say you're probably running like external hard drives by now with 111 trail cameras. Well, um, I need to, my computer's getting bogged down, but that's, that's, uh, 10 years. I would, I, I think, no, I've got camera data going back to 2008 on that computer. So what's that? 12 or 13 years now worth of data. And I'm at, that's 50 gigs worth of solely trucking pictures, uh, scattered across multiple States, multiple farms. And then I, you know, by, I do it by year, by, by year, by farm. And then within the farm, sometimes by location, uh, depending on how big the farm is and whether I feel like I remember what the picture looks like and where that scrape or where that food pot edge was or that. And if I feel like I need to break it down farther, I will. Um, but yeah, I have lots and lots and lots of deer pictures. And, and that's pretty much all I like to post because I just have so many 
Yeah, you do. Um, when are you going in and checking these cameras? I mean, uh, I would assume that not all of your trail cameras are cell cameras. Right. Yeah, I'm only running. Actually, this year is the very first time I've run cell cameras ever. Um, I had one last year, and it spent more time in my truck than it did in the woods. Um, so this year is the first time, uh, and we, I've got you know 15 or 20 out um, right now uh, of those. And so um, I put them out in June. Some that are close to the road, easy to get to. Um, I'll check them when it's convenient. I might be in that area. Um, I'd say I've got a good number, um, not that far, not that far away. And so you can get get in and get out. I'll check those just at your convenience when you can. And those are the cameras that scratch the edge for me just to, to check a few. Now, in my, my target areas that I have history with and I know where I'm going into, if I put them out in June, I'll probably go in there one time um, late August. And I'll probably make one good loop, check everything, see what I've got, see what I can learn, um, see if I need to make any adjustments while I'm in there. I'll have extra everything on my back, and I'll go in one time and get it done. And now that I know what I know this year, same thing goes with my fall cameras. They're already in place. Even though it's July, all of my November cameras are where they need to be, according to what the sign that I found last year. And so... I'm assuming I'll probably check that I'll probably do as many as I can in August, or at least the ones that are important to me for the relevant deer that I'm going to be hunting. I'll do everything I can. And then there are some that I just may not get to till the season's over and that's okay. But I'm going to, you know, the ones that are important to me are obviously the ones in my target deer's areas that I want to focus on. So I'll do those products. I'll do those in August. And then after that, it'll be on a need as a, a need to know basis or when I'm in there hunting, of course, I'll check as many as I can. If I'm in a proximity, usually after the hunt's over and I get out, I'll check if I'm hunting in that spot. Um, but usually, like I said, I'll do June. I'll do one good check in August. Uh, I'll make sure make sure everything's working, see if there's anything I need to know. And then after that, it'll just be case by case and uh, when I'm in the area. Okay. Yeah, no, that's all good stuff. Now, um, Reese, you know, you, you pretty much nailed it down for me as far as, you know, what your trail cam strategies are, how you're scouting for these deer, and then, you know, you're going in for the kill on them. Uh, do you have any tips or tricks that uh, you wanted to talk about as far as when you're setting up trail cameras or anything about trail cameras that we haven't already covered? Um, the only thing I'll say is, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people may think that this is impossible or, or that I have a, you know, that, 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 that I'm wealthy and able to do, to do more than everybody else. But in reality, you know, this is a collection of, uh, two or three guys, um, over the course of five to 10 years. And if you'll buy five or 10 cameras per year, uh, ranging from $30 to, you know, even $150 or the $120 cell cams now, it, it's it's not as impossible as it sounds. And, and once you reach a certain level of cameras in your inventory, you feel you can do really cool things. You can you can try new spots. You can cover new ground that you never would have thought. And and if you know, that's why I feel so comfortable. So like, like I said. Uh, if you've got five or ten, only five or ten cameras, you you're not going to leave it out all year. You can't afford to. You're not going to. I've been there, did that for several years. We were short cameras, couldn't you know needed more, needed this. But tell you what, um, as cheap as the cameras are nowadays, and the quality of, of most of them, you can you can cover quite a bit of ground. 
um, and, and gather a lot of information. No, the quality is not the same um, as some of those high-end cameras. And I have, you know, my share of high-end cameras, but I keep those in specific spots where I want high-quality pictures of whatever I know is in that area. And then all of my exploratory stuff that I don't have any idea what's over here. Maybe there's a giant, maybe there's not. You know, I'll put my stick of low-quality camera over there, and if something's big on it or you know, I, I, you know, it's not going to be the prettiest picture, but you get the gist. It's either big or it's not. And then I'll come back with a better camera later on down the road if that becomes a priority for me. And so, you know, at today's prices and the amount of volume that's out there, it's really not um, impossible to do on a budget still and cover quite a bit of ground. Um, it's just, I think people have to, have to want to do it. And that's been, that's, that's still the get go. That's still been the, the issue for me out the gate is a lot of people say they want to. Um, but, uh, when they're, when they're, when they should be scouting, they're sitting on the couch. Yeah. No, I, and they, I, I struggle with both, you know, sometimes I'm super motivated and I'm out there in the woods at different times of the year. And the other times I'm like, ah, you know, the trail cameras are soaking it up in there. So, um, you know, Reese, I, I appreciate you coming on again. I felt I feel like I'm gonna have to, you know, re-listen to this podcast myself. I found myself shaking my head a lot, agreeing with a lot of what you had to say. But I know that there's a lot of golden nuggets in here and I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about, you know, your strategies and I look forward to uh to seeing what this year does for you and if you get that target buck you're after. Well, super excited to see what's going to happen. Uh, like I said, I got some miles to cover, and um, like I said, the cameras are soaking. I feel good. I don't have anything to worry about right now, and I'm just enjoying summer, working on the, working on the house, and and getting getting some things done, and just letting them letting them do their thing. Well, maybe if uh, if you uh, knock down that buck, we can hear all about it uh, on this podcast. Yeah, would uh, I'd work for me? I'd be happy to tell you the story. <laughs> well. Folks, I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you on the next one.